Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices, Past and Present. Brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, www.ihconvention.com. This is a wonderful sermon preached by A. Willett Vest back in 1981, and it's titled, Praying Through. I know you'll enjoy this excellent sermon. Before the house of the Lord, for there he offered. 
and the fat of the peace offerings because the bronze altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings and the meal of the meat offerings and the fat. Then reading from verse 12, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place for myself as in a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there is no rain, or if I command, command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send the pestilence upon my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attentive unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. Shall we pray together? Our Heavenly Father, we come into thy presence reverently as we know how on this first night of this camp meeting. We're thankful to read about other days when the fire fell. We're thankful to read about other days when the glory came down. We're thankful to read of other days when the people bowed on the pavement before the Lord. We're thankful to read of other days when the blessing came in such tremendous power. There was such liberality that there was not room for the offering. We're thankful to read about what you have done. But Lord, we need your help tonight. We acknowledge that we are a people that need your divine help. But we read in your word where you said if we will, you will. You're telling us that we'll do four things, you'll do three things. And we believe there are conditions to be met for there to be revival. We don't have to tell you tonight. Others know it, and most of all, you know it without thy anointing, without thy help. We're nothing but sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. I pray tonight that you would bring that special anointing upon my brothers that will be preaching from service to service. We'd ask to give safety to the, our brothers Bullock and Beckham that are coming this way. Would you watch over them and give them the divine help tonight? We know our hearts tonight. We're not interested that we remember who preached or what was said, but we're concerned about the divine presence of the Holy One coming down. We can look back to this camp of 1981 and acknowledge that God was here. Our only hope, our only help is in you, but we're glad we can look to you tonight for thy divine help in this service and every service. We want to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all the good that's accomplished. For we want to ask all of these things in the precious, worthy name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. There are some terms that we use that may not be exactly Bible terms, but there's a term that we use praying through. I'm thankful that I prayed through. Someone told me one time, praying through is not a Bible term. But if you've ever prayed through, you know exactly what I'm talking about tonight. And I think this is what the scripture is saying, and when Solomon had ended praying, when Solomon had prayed through. And then you will notice I read from verse 12, and the Lord appeared to him by night and 
said, I have heard thy prayer. He finished praying, and the Lord heard his prayer. And I wish to speak to you tonight in the camp, in this first service, on the subject of praying through. For I feel like praying through will do more for us than anything else that I know of. Praying through. Now, when Solomon had made an end of praying, praying through moves two worlds. It moves heaven and it moves earth. Praying through moves two persons. It moves God and it moves man. In one place in the Bible you can find a record of this is in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 14. Because of the sin of the people that were worshiping the golden calf, God was going to destroy them. But a man by the name of Moses interceded, and it said that God repented himself. Moses prayed through until it moved God. God was moved, and Moses was moved. Praying through unites two worlds. It brings heaven and earth together. And I would remind you tonight that heaven and the heart were made together at first, but it was sin that separated them. But holiness reunites them. And I would like to remind us tonight that we need this atmosphere, this heavenly atmosphere in this old dreary world. And no doubt I'm speaking to some that you've been here at camp for many, many years. And no doubt you're not remembering so much who it was that preached. And you're not remembering so much what their text was and perhaps what they said, but you remember a particular camp, a particular service. Why? Because of the heavenly atmosphere that came down and filled the tabernacle. And we need this tonight, dear folk. We need this heavenly atmosphere. For in the world of sin and rebellion and heartache and ungodliness, it's not a place for a person that's wanting to serve God to find much kindredship. But we're gathered together one more time upon the old hilltop. And there's an atmosphere that you don't find in the world outside. You don't find this atmosphere in the department stores. You don't find this atmosphere out in the ball stadiums. You don't find this atmosphere in other places except for the saints of the Lord meet together. I'm speaking about a heavenly atmosphere that comes down. And if we need this heavenly atmosphere, and if praying through brings this heavenly atmosphere, Atmosphere, I think we ought to be candidates tonight to be people that want to pray through. We need this heavenly atmosphere. It's wonderful to know tonight that we can reach heaven and connect it with earth, that there can be created an atmosphere of heavenly rest and peace. And I would remind us tonight that our citizenship is in heaven, and it's good to hear from the homeland at least once in a while. A year ago this past April, my wife and I were on the way to the Philippine Islands, and we stopped off for two or three days in Korea. One of the Korean ladies that attends the Korean church at home in Greenville said, Pastor Vess, I want you to stop and see my father and mother. And I said, Kwam, we'll be happy to do that. After we arrived in Korea, I gave the address to Brother Pat, and he said, well, that seems to be very near where our Lifeline Church is located. 
when we drove up the address in a taxi cab and got out. Brother Pack said, why, there's Lifeline Church. It was actually in the same complex of buildings. We went into the home of Dr. Che, who is the foremost acupuncture doctor in Korea. They call them oriental doctors there. We went into this office and then into a room adjoining the office, and then their home was behind that. We sat down on the floor and started partaking of a wonderful Korean meal. While we were sitting there on the floor, I spoke to the interpreter and told Dr. Che and his family that I had a tape recorder, and I wanted each one of the members of that family to say something to, the, to their sister Kwong back in the States. She had not seen them for 12 long years. And I shall never forget, I still have the recording, and like to listen to it every now and then, but I shall never forget as I handed the recording to Dr. Che, and he started talking to his daughter. I don't know what he was saying, but I saw tears begin to run down his cheeks. And then he handed it to one of the daughters, and she started talking. And usually Korean people are quite stoical, but she got uh, what some people call real emotional. And as a Korean say, she teared and teared as she spoke into the recorder. Then she passed it to another and another and all around. Then I noticed that Dr. Che got up and went over to the telephone and dialed a number and a little bit of emotion for me to come to the telephone. And I went to the telephone and I said hello and on the other end of the line, 10 or 12,000 miles away, Kwon Kim said, Pastor Bass? Oh, I said, Kwon, uh, why are you calling? Oh, she said, my father called me. He just wanted to talk to me. And then they found out later it was 3 o'clock in the morning in Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, we hung up. Five or ten minutes later, I guess Kwong woke up, and she called back. And then she wanted to talk to every member of the family. She talked to every member of the family. It was 30 minutes long. That call cost her more than $200. But I noticed as each one would go to the phone, they'd begin to talk, and they'd cry and cry and cry. After we got back to the States, we went into the store where Kwong Kim, Kim operates, and I said, Kwong, I have something I want you to hear. And we went into a back room, and wife and I sat, and she turned on the recorder, and then she started crying, listening as her sisters were talking, as her father and mother were talking. What had happened was this. We had been able, through the means of recording, to bring a, a, a remembrance, to bring an atmosphere, at least of some degree, of the homeland. An atmosphere of home, a memory of home. And I'm here to tell you tonight that we were not made for this sin-cursed world. This was not God's plan in the beginning. His plan was that there would be a heavenly, holy, hallowed atmosphere upon the world and upon the earth. But sin got in. But I'm thankful that tonight we can have a little foretaste of glory divine. And when the heavenly atmosphere settles down and God touches our souls in a new way and quickens our spirit and this joy unspeakable and full of glory, just think what it's going to be on the other side. Think what it'll be when we'll be in the presence of our blessed Savior in heaven itself without the presence of sin and sorrow. What is the effect of praying through? And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. The effect of praying through. First of all, you will note the effect on heaven. It says the fire came down from heaven. Fire symbolizes deity and a means of worship. 
Heavenly fire means reality. It means divine life. It means unction. It means power. There are three kinds of fire that we would notice tonight. There's false fire, and there's wildfire, and there's genuine fire. And I've heard people say, well, we need fire, just any kind of fire. No, we do not need just any kind of fire. There's only one kind of fire we need, and that's God's fire, and that's genuine fire. And I remember so well, I had started preaching, but I felt yet there was an inward need in my life. And I shall never forget as a little Pennsylvania Dutch preacher by the name of H.C. Van Warmer had preached one hot afternoon in our camp in Alabama. And he had shown the depravity of the heart. He had shown the very taproot of the carnal nature. And I felt like the Holy Ghost said to me, son, that's what you need. I was sitting on the front seat. And as we stood, he looked at me and said, Brother Mess, you dismiss us in prayer. I said, Brother, I can't dismiss us in prayer because I need to be at the altar. And I shall never forget that afternoon as I came to the altar. And it just seemed like as I confessed out the traits of the carnal mind of the Holy Ghost was so faithful to me, it did not seem like a raging mighty fire, but it seemed like a prairie fire, slow but thorough, slow but complete as this fire burned across my soul. Fire will either purify or destroy. We need this heavenly fire. In the second place, you will notice not only the effect on heaven, but the effect on the offering and the sacrifices. It was accepted. It was consumed. And only God was left. And I believe that's what happens when our hearts are cleansed. We put everything on the altar before him. He comes, the offering, the sacrifice is consumed, and only God is left. That's exactly what happens in our life when we turn everything completely, wholly over to Him. All we want is what God wants. We wouldn't turn our hand to the left or the right. All we want is what God wants. If He wants us in Cincinnati, fine. If He wants us in Polo Hill, that's fine with us. All we want is what God wants. Amen. I tell you, it's wonderful to pray through. And for the fire to fall, the effect of the offering, some time ago I was involved in a study of why God would accept one sacrifice of one brother, Cain and Abel, accept Abel and not accept Cain's sacrifice. You remember the scripture said, it, Thou bringest thy gift. And there was a reason why. Some would say because of the fact that one was a blood sacrifice and one was not. I'm not sure that I have all the answer, but I know that this, that there is a reason. There is a good reason that God has when he would accept an offering and reject another offering. This offering was accepted. This offering was consumed. The third effect I want you to notice and pray through is the effect on the house of the Lord, effect on the house of God. It says that the glory fill the house. It's holy presence that makes holy worship. It's the presence of the living one. And you will find today that it's slipping, yea, in the holiness churches that we're trying something else 
And when we do not have the Holy One and the Hallowed One and the Blessed One, when we do not have the Holy Guest, one or two things will happen. We will go down before our faces and find out why. Or either we will find a substitute and be willing to live with that substitute and add another belt and add another pulley and add another button and add another relay and add another transformer. This doesn't work and something else and something else until we're caught in the spirit of the world, perhaps in an entertainment vein, trying to draw the people. But there's nothing that will ever take the place of his presence. The glory fill the house, the effect on the house of God. We never forget those glory-filled services, those times when you're at church and you can hardly wait for the preacher to stop or for it to come 12 o'clock on Sunday morning, the noon hour. But when God comes, you're there at one and you're there at two, you're there at three, and no one's in a hurry to go home. Isaiah chapter 6, we find a record where Isaiah got a glimpse of the presence of the Lord. And it said that his train filled the temple, the post removed, and holiness was proclaimed. Sin was revealed. There was a purging. There was a call. There was an acceptance. There was obedience. Nothing takes the place of his presence. Some years ago, my father was preaching in the old tabernacle at Stoneburg Camp. His worker in that camp was a man by the name of Brother Jesse Whitecotton. When I was a teenage boy, I attended the funeral of Brother White Cotton at Nelson Street Church, Western Church in Marion, Indiana. Brother White Cotton was a, was a drunkard before he was converted. God used him in a mighty way after he gave his heart to the Lord. I've talked to others who were in the service and they remembered so well. It was an afternoon service. Brother White Cotton was preaching on the subject of hell. Perhaps he was reliving some of the delirium treatments that he had gone through. But he was, had such anointing and such blessing and such power upon his life that as he preached and described hell, that the tabernacle literally filled with smoke until the lights were dimmed. I'm talking about the effect on the house of God. I will notice in the fourth place the effect on the priesthood. In verse 2 it says, And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord had filled the house. I, I hear a lot of reasons why people don't go to church. Though I've been preaching several years, I heard some new ones this week. Just add them to my more chapters in the book of excuses. But reasons why people don't go to church. But here's the reason why they couldn't go into the house of the Lord. It's because the house was so filled with the glory of the Lord. There was no room for man. There was no room for any substitute. The effect on the priesthood. How it affected the preacher. And I would just say this tonight, that unless we have his presence, that all of our education and all of our gimmicks and all of our stories and all of our outlines, it's all worthless. I need it. How you need it, brother. Oh, let's not be satisfied with anything less than his presence. And then the effect on the congregation. 
It says that when the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces upon the pavement. You can talk to people and try to get them to confess and they'll blow up or blow out and get mad. You can persuade them to do something and perhaps they will confess just as far as they're uncovered. But when his presence settles down and his presence breaks their heart, and it's not just a pseudo-humility, but a real, genuine humility. It said they, they bowed with their faces to the ground. And also they worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. The effect on the congregation. And if we are going to be affected as a congregation in the way that we ought to be, it's going to take the divine presence of the Holy One that settles down upon our hearts, that settles down upon the services, that settles down in the prayer room, that settles down in the dining hall, that settles down in the dormitory rooms or trailers or wherever you are. I would to God tonight we could say that we're candidates for the divine, for the supernatural. Without it, we're nothing. The effect of the congregation. And then I would have you to notice the worship that followed after Solomon had prayed through and the fire came and the offering was accepted. The worship that followed. You can look at your word at the word and see the order it's written for us. It says that the king and people found common communion together. I do not have time tonight but it might be that during the camp, sure, the Lord would direct some of our attention to this matter of unity and oneness. It's needed. There are places where it's needed to preach the standards of the word. But I'm here to tell you tonight that there's another side. There's the spirit. There's the spirit. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were together. One place. There's a unity. There's a oneness. When we as holiness people profess to be saved and sanctified, I believe that we are saying that this is as close and as great and as wonderful an experience as a person can have this side of being glorified. And the reason some people are not willing to follow after the theology that we follow after is because too often our profession is a long way from our practice. And I do not believe that we're going to see the revival in our Zion that we ought to see until this wide gap where there's profession on one hand and practice on another. This revival will come in the degree that profession and practice come together. There was a worshiping together. King and people found common communion. I had an individual just a few hours ago they called and said, well, we've decided we're going to another church. I said, well, that's your privilege, but I feel like that you ought to me as a pastor to let me know why, so I won't see them. And uh, this lady, she said, well, she said, uh, I know somebody that uh, 
go to our church and they saw somebody else from our church and they passed and they didn't even speak to them. I said, now wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, there have been times that I have passed people and I haven't spoken to them and my mind's been on something else and I just didn't see them. I said, now you give them a benefit of the doubt. I said, now I cannot believe that there is anybody in our church that would deliberately pass by someone they know, to say the least, and not speak to him. I just do not believe that. And then I got real inspired. Her husband was sitting there on the couch by me. And I got real inspired. And I said, I'd like to ask you, and I spoke just about this way, I'd like to ask you, is there anybody that you will not intentionally speak to? And she said, yes. I said, well, all those other people you talked about, if they uh, deliberately didn't speak to people, they need to be at the mortar's business, but you need to be there first and need to get saved. And her husband said, ha, 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 ha. You see, he'd been living with her. Maybe he's the one she wouldn't speak to about that. Well, I don't know. But all the time professing religion, but an attitude of heart that would not speak to another person. Oh, the king and people found common communion. And then you will notice that the offerings were very, very liberal. They were great. And you'll notice what King Solomon offered. But then you will notice it says, because, let's go back in the middle of verse 7. Let's just get all of verse 7. Moreover, Solomon had on the middle court that was before the house of the Lord, for there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings because of bronze and brazen altar, which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings. Now, I don't know whether they've ever had offerings here that they took up in bushel baskets or a number three wash tub. Probably some of you get honest about it. A lot of you take a baths in number three wash tub. Few around. But I just wonder, I, I, well, I see you've got cups here. I, I didn't know that. Now I see them. You take up offering and cups. But wouldn't it be something if you get about three dozen number three wash tubs and bushel baskets and... Uh, what we do, we just have a march offering. You know, put them all up down the altar here, and let's come right, because it'd be hard to pass number three horse tub down through these seats. But suppose we'd have that kind of an offering, and the money would just pile up and pile up. And, and could you imagine, uh, could you imagine that Brother Miller would get up and say, don't give any more? You can't imagine that. Well, I can't either. But just so liberal, just so much was given. This is what happened. Say, folks, maybe we've got the cart in the wrong place. Some years ago, a church and school that I attended, knew about in Florida, they had a small indebtedness. Of course, it would seem larger about them, but it's indebtedness of $10,000. They had one of these thermometers on the wall, you know, the red ribbon, the white ribbon, and a spool each in, and you pull it up as they give money. And the, 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 uh, Offering had, the offerings had been very small, and they were able to lift the ribbon just a little. And they'd get up and beg and plead and plead and beg and all. But the people seemingly weren't able, or at least not interested in giving. Well, the French came there for revival meeting with Rob French. And he began to preach on humility and brokenness and confession. And he went to one of the women that was sort of had something to do with the leadership of the school. And, 
Brother Fritz just looked at her. I, I could see him now in my mind's eye. And he said, Sister, don't you think it'd help the revival if you just eat some humble pie? She barked back and said, Sir, my pie's still in the oven. Brother Francis left her alone, which he was very wise to do. But they kept praying. And I shall never forget the day that that top sergeant, as a lot of them called her, got up before that congregation of a few hundred people. And she got up before them and started weeping. That was unusual. And she said, Folk, I have a confession to make. And she just began to weep and sob and say, the reason we haven't had revivals because of me. Everybody looked at you. They all knew it. We're glad she found it out. It's wonderful when people find it out. Usually other people know it anyway. But she just humbled herself before the Lord. And there hadn't been one word said about offering. And somewhere down on the right here, a fellow jumped up and said, You know, I mean, the Lord wants me to give $1,000. And somebody ran back, got his check, and they went over and pulled up the ribbon a little bit. He had hardly sat down, and someone said, Well, I believe I want to give $1,000. And did you know that in five minutes they raised $10,000? And not one word had been said anything about the offering at all. What was the difference? His presence was there. His presence was there. I believe when the spiritual thermometer goes up, that all the other thermometers will go up as well. And it sat there, the priests were in their places. I tell you what, friends, we'd have a revival to some degree. We'd get the preachers in their places. And I've never been much favorable to having a whole lot of rules for a church uh, uh, that fill up a, a book as thick as a scissor by catalog. But most of the time, you get the preachers straight. The church members will do all right. And all the preachers said amen. I tell you what, a whole lot of laymen say amen there. But priests were in their places. And they waited on their offices. They found the place that God wanted them to have. And then you'll notice the singers, and I, I really like this. The singers, they were the Levite family, and it said that they had, uh, it, it was music of the Lord. It said here, also with instruments of music of the Lord. Amen. Spiritual singing. And then the people were sent away blessed. It said they stood. And they went away blessed because of the presence of the Lord. In the book of Mark, chapter 5, we have a story of a woman that had been sick for 12 long years. It said there was a certain woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians. She spent all she had, but she was no better, but rather grew worse. Would you let me imagine for just a moment tonight, it said here that she had been to many physicians. No doubt to begin with, she went to her local family doctor. He did all that he could to help her. He went as far as he could go, but she wasn't any better. And he was honest to tell her that I've done everything that I can for you. I think you need to see a specialist. So they put her on an airplane and sent her up to Mayo. And they fluoroscoped her, and they x-rayed her, and they scanned her, and they took blood, and they gave her blood, and they operated, and they transplanted, but uh, she was no better. So someone said, well, you haven't done any good with the MDs, and I know she went to a chiropractor because it said she suffered many things. 
You see, when I was a boy, I used to live next door to a chiropractor. And she would jerk me and twist me. And in fact, the, the old cow got sick one day and she took a rubber hammer and went out there and adjusted the cow. Well, I used to adjust the cow too when she kicked the bucket over, but not that way. Well, she tried all that for a while. You know, it's amazing how they get a hold of your head and twist it, and it sounds like a machine gun up in your neck there, and then they'll ask you, does it hurt? But uh, perhaps she had tried the MDs and she tried the chiropractors, and someone said, well, I know what you need. You need the herb doctor. You need the health doctor. Oh, sister, I know what will cure you. You need to go on a diet. And so she tried a grapefruit diet. And after she got through spitting out all the seeds, she wasn't any better. And they said, well, what you need is a grape juice diet. And that didn't do too much. I'm getting to that by that. Well, don't get ahead of me. And so she tried a rice, rice diet. And then someone said, I know what'll help you. You need a protein diet. And she tried all these diets, and she was still bad off. And then someone came along and said, I know what you need. You've tried these MDs and the chiropractors, and you've tried these diets. What you need are vitamins, vitamins. And so Mr. Shacklick came shakily along, and that didn't work, so she tried another way. She tried Amway. And then she wanted to get real professional help, so she got Protovite. And uh, by the way, some years ago, I, I went to a church to hold a revival meeting. And dear friends of mine, and they meant well. But I sat down for supper, and I looked, and there were a whole bunch of pills right there by my plate. And I said to the pastor's wife, I said, what are these for? I said, what's that little long brown one there for? She said, well, that's to help your nerves. I said, there's nothing wrong with my nerves. And then I said, what's that little red one for? She said, oh, she said, that's to help your digestive system. I said, ma'am, there's not a thing wrong with my digestive system. And then there was a little uh, purple-looking one, and I said, what's that for? She said, that's to help you sleep. I said, I don't have any trouble sleeping. I have trouble waking up sometimes, but I don't have any trouble sleeping. And she went right on down the line, and there wasn't a thing that she had there that I needed. You know, she never did put those pills out for me again the whole meeting. The scripture said she grew worse. And someone said, well, I'll tell you what you need. You've been, you know, the water you've been drinking is polluting. And what you need to get you a distiller. And if you get you a distiller and drink pure water right out of the distiller that is bound to, to uh, really solve your problems, you know. Uh, and then someone else perhaps said, what you need, you need special juice. And so they got her on citrus juice and celery juice and she drank so much carrot juice till she turned yellow. And, uh, and then she tried all this and she was still bad off. And someone said, I know what you need. You need exercise. So what you need to do is get you some jogging shoes. And she went out and bought her some jogging shoes. They were purple and yellow and red, you know. You could see her coming six blocks away. And so the poor soul was about dead by now, but she tried to jog. And then somebody came along and said, oh, no, 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 no. Don't take that kind of exercise, for when you jog, it pushes the foot bone into the lower level.
and the lower leg bone is pushed up to the knee bone. There's such an impact when you hit the pavement and the upper leg bone is pushed up into the hip bone and you keep doing that, you'll be crippled after a while. What you need is to get you a trampoline. And so for about $160, they sell her this little piece of nylon with some door springs on it, and she gets there and jumps up and down a few times, you know. That's to solve all of her problems. Now, I'm not telling you tonight that there aren't some things that will help you, but I think some people are trying this spiritually. They're running to everything and every gimmick and every uh, imaginary thing, trying to find a cure for the sin problem. But one day there's a woman that came to her and said, you know, I used to have the same problem you've got. And there was a man by the name of Jesus. I tried everything else and everyone else, but you know, just one, just one touch of Jesus. And I've been well ever since. Hallelujah. Well, neither that will appear to show us how she did it. But I can see that woman emaciated 12 years have passed by. She had suffered many things. She had spent all she had. She was bankrupt financially. She was just about gone physically. But she thought, well, I found somebody that had what I had and they're cured. I'll at least try one more. And I can see her. She comes down to where Jesus is speaking to the multitude of the great crowds are all around. She is so weak. She wonders, how can I do it? And I see her, she walks up and says, pardon me, sir. And old Mr. Fearful looked down and said, where are you going? Oh, I want to get to him. I won't do you any good. I've seen you in every clinic and ever. won't do you any good. But she thought, I'm going to try anyway. Maybe she gets down and she begins to push through. Pardon me. Oh, Sister Faithless, where are you going? I told you there wasn't anything that helped you. But this woman had enough faith. She thought, if I can just get through. And she finally pushes through, pushes through, and she looks and she sees him. <laughs> and she thinks, if I can just, I don't want to undo it, but if I can just even touch his garment, I wouldn't even have to touch his hand, if I can just touch his garment. And she reaches through, and with the last effort, she touches his garment, and all of a sudden, what happened to me? She's new. The pain's gone. The suffering's gone. The anguish is gone. The anxiety's gone. Twelve long years. And in one moment, with a touch of his garment, and she's made whole. Folk, it's worth praying through tonight. It will get through. He's still the same. It will get through. We'll find that God's promises are just the same as they've ever been. Hallelujah. And when Solomon had made an end of praying, and I challenge you tonight, if we'll find a place of prayer, we'll get along and pray until we get through. God will give us a can't forget about who the preachers were, but we remember one thing. God came. He's the one we need. Let's stand together, please. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on.